Hi there, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. Do you have a homestead, farm, or just dream of a rural life? This is a show to help you and your kids grow your own food and grow as a person. I'm your host, Cody Hanner. I'm a homesteader, homeschool mama six, and small town enthusiast. I was raised by an old school rancher and blessed by the grace of God to have been exposed to so much of what rural life has to offer. Join me every week to talk about homesteading, homeschooling, and growth with a homestead education. Hi, and welcome back. I just want to remind you that you can get all of my homestead science books on my website for a new way of teaching agriculture to today's youth and aspiring homesteaders by focusing on small-scale farming and self-sufficiency. If you are a school or co-op and need invoicing, please feel free to reach out to me directly. So this week on our homestead, we had a hard hit. Um, Not the worst one we've had, but... um, it is our farrowing season. That means the time that our pigs are having all their babies because um, for our local fair, the pigs all need to be born in the calendar year. And for their age, they need to be born in like January, February at the latest. So we try to have ours all be born like the first couple of weeks of January. It's cold, it's hard, but we make it work. And one of our best sows um, she's from show lines. Um, she always has a great litter. She's really easy to work with. Um, she, you know, weans all of her babies, which means, um, that we don't usually lose any of hers. Um, you know, cause sometimes we do lose them. They get stepped on or it gets cold or there's a runt or something. It's unfortunately they say, if you have livestock, eventually you'll have dead stock. And that's something that we have to deal with as homesteaders. Um, <clears throat> So anyways, we went up and checked pigs um, last week and uh, we were looking at everybody seeing when we thought they'd be due and she was railing up really big, which means that the milk was coming into her teats and they were, um, we were like, oh, she's getting ready to start to show milk. Once they show milk, you only have about 12 to 24 hours before they go into labor. So um, we moved her into a farrowing, well, we actually, we waited a day or so and then we moved her into a farrowing pen. Um, we checked her, she was showing milk, which means when we, uh, like milk her, like we would a cow, we can express milk. And, um, the next morning our son went up and he's like, Hey, there's one baby and she's in labor and we're like, perfect. She's doing good. She's one of those sows that we don't have to worry about. Like, you know, he just leaves her be so that she's not stressed or anything. And we'll go check her in a couple hours and make sure everything's going well. And we went up a couple hours later and there was still one baby. And we're like, that's not normal. Um, so we checked on her. We, um, you know, just kind of decided to, uh, figure out, you know, just making sure that she was doing all right and stuff. Everything seemed really normal. Um, nothing looked bad. She hadn't passed a placenta yet, which pigs have two horns over their uterus. So they'll actually pass two placentas once they're done having their babies. Cause they, when they're in labor, they'll have pigs from one horn and then pigs from piglets from the other horn. So we're like, okay, you know, there might be a big piglet in there, Uh, you know, like she doesn't seem to be in any type of distress or like she's pushing hard. She was very comfortable nursing her piglet. So we ran to town, did some errands. We came home and she still hadn't had any more piglets. So um, we checked to see if there was a piglet stuck in her, you know, vaginal canal. Um. Anytime you have to insert anything inside your pig, make sure you give them some antibiotics afterwards. You don't want to have any like uterine infections or anything. So anyways, we did not feel anything. So 
um, we kind of, you know, hummed and hawed about what we should do at that point because she still didn't seem like she was in any distress, although it was a Sunday evening. So it would be really hard to get to our vet as well if there were any issues. So we, there's a medication that you can give a pig that's in labor and a lot of um, farmers, uh, you know, that have large operations will actually give this medication to induce labor similar as you would to like a woman who's, you know, maybe past her due date. Farmers use it to sync everybody up, uh, make sure they're all farrowing like at the same time. Um, we use it usually only if somebody is struggling or if we feel like there's a reason, um, like medically, like we don't do it just to, you know, get somebody to labor at a certain time. So we're like, well, okay, we'll just go grab some of that and give her a shot. Well, we come down to the house and we can't find it anywhere. I mean, we, we, and we don't need to use it that often. So, you know, I mean, like we tore apart the barn office, we tore apart the house, the refrigerators, the nightstands, because you never know if we gave a pig some Pitocin or Oxytocin, um, which is what it's called, um, you know, in the middle of the night and set it in a nightstand two years ago. And that's where it's still sitting. So by the time we realized that we didn't have any, it was well after dark late on sunday night we could have called our vet where um we know him pretty well um and we could have drove down to his house and um picked up at least one shot of oxytocin he would have you know just drawn one up for us and that's it's really important to have a good relationship with your vet like that because of these situations because chances are he wasn't going to need to come to our house we just need a shot and that's going to cost us about five dollars versus you know 150. So, um, but we, we opted not to call him because she wasn't, um, she didn't seem like she was laboring, um, bad. Like she wasn't in distress. She wasn't, you know, pushing really hard. We weren't seeing any like bad fluid. So we decided to wait till morning. And in the morning, my husband, you know, drove straight to the vet's office, um, picked up what we needed. We were able to buy a whole bottle from him because like we said, we have a great relationship with our vet and that's a lot of farm vets work with, um, you know, commercial farmers are like, I refer to us as a commercial homestead. Um, he knows that we raise a large amount of hogs. He's been to our farm. He's seen how our animals are treated. He knows, um, my background in, um, agriculture and what my degree is in and stuff. And so he feels comfortable, um, just giving us whatever we need. And a lot of farmers will do that, or a lot of vets will do that <clears throat> once they're comfortable with a farmer and their operations. So at this point, we get back home with the shot and the one piglet that was in there, I guess it had gotten stepped on and its hip was completely dislocated. And we we're like, oh my gosh, like the one piglet we do get from her. So um, we give her the shot of oxytocin and my husband kind of hangs out up there. He got the piglet out of the pen with her and put it in like a heated, um, we have like a heat box thing in the barn office that we use when we have piglets that are struggling or sometimes moms can be a little, um, like when they're laboring, they will sometimes stand up and flop over really hard on the other side to try to work those two horns of their uterus. And so we have a box set up that if the uh, sow is doing that really hard, we will pull those piglets and put them in a heat box until she's done delivering um just keeps them safer they have a few hours before they have to get their colostrum so we can usually save piglets that way by not having them get laid on but anyways um we moved the pig to the warm box 
um, went out and gave her her shot. My husband kept a really close eye on her. Um, he said she started contracting and he was seeing some discharge, which, you know, I mean, that can be normal in delivery. Um, at that point, though, she had passed one of her placentas, which is really concerning that one of the placentas had already passed and she'd only had one piglet. That means there was only one piglet in that entire horn. Um, so we don't even know what was going on with the other horn at that point. There was also like little balls going up the side of the placenta. It's about a foot long. And like every inch or so there was these little, um, nodules, which we believe to be the, um, like eggs that attached, but never, um, grew. So, um, my husband went and checked her a little bit later and she had delivered one more very large deformed piglet that had passed away previously and had a stench to it. So that tells us it was starting to decay inside of her. And then she did pass another placenta. So that tells us she only had the two piglets. Huge hit to us because she's like one of our best ones. We show we sell her piglets for like $200 a piece. And she usually, you know, has between 10 and 15. <clears throat> so super bummed out about that. Um, but then we have another issue to deal with. And it's the fact that she had infection inside of her. So um, with some research and, you know, discussing with our vet, um, what we are doing is every day she is getting a shot of penicillin um, to deal with any infection and then another shot of the oxytocin to contract her uterus and push out any um, infection that she may have. And then she'll stay in the farrowing crates for about a week just to make sure that her infection has passed and that she's eating good and everything. And then she'll go back out with the boar to be rebred. Hopefully everything is good to go. She probably won't recycle um, or go back into heat again for two to three weeks. So a little bit of a hit, but also a really great learning experience for, uh, well, we've dealt with things like this before, but it's always, um, we haven't dealt with that bad of an infection before. And um, it's a great learning opportunity for you guys as well. So um <clears throat> Next, uh, tomorrow, our lambs are going to the butcher. This is the first time we're going to have lamb for sale on our homestead. We're really excited about this. We did not raise these lambs. I've mentioned before that I bought these lambs from 4-H kids that their lambs didn't make weight and they couldn't sell them at fair. So with that, um, you know, it's a it's really disappointing for the kids. You know, they put a lot of work into it and... They sell these land or, you know, they get the lambs ready for auction. And if they don't make weight, they don't make any money off of it. And they put a lot of money and a lot of work into these projects. So I bought a few lambs off of local kids that didn't make weight. Um, I paid a really good price for them. So I'm probably not going to make much of a profit off these lambs, but I wanted to be able to have some diversity in our store when we first opened. And actually one of the families that we sold lambs from is, um, starting their own um, routine of having lambs ready every year. So we're probably either going to start buying younger lambs from them, or we may even let them feed out their lambs, butcher them and sell their product in our store. We haven't really decided what we want to do with that one yet. We enjoyed getting to feed out these lambs, get some weight on them. Um, but we don't know if that's going to be our long-term plan. On the flip side, one of these lambs we're keeping just for our own freezer. And we are really excited because we just kind of got started on lamb. Um, I've always enjoyed it. My husband did not. Um, he was He's an Iraqi vet or Iraqi war vet. And um, he had a couple of bad incidences with um, lamb, goat cheese, those types of just Mediterranean food. 
um, you know, food poisoning and that type of stuff that has made it where he doesn't, he hasn't been as adventurous with his food. And over the last year, I've gotten him to try a few things and he is obsessed. So we are so excited to try a bunch of new things. We have a couple things we're going to do right off the bat. My husband, no, he wants to smoke some lamb. That was the first way he had it, that he enjoyed it. Um, we also love lamb euros, gyros. I don't know. However you pronounce it, I don't really care. They're yummy. So we know that we want to do that. We'll probably do some ground lamb for some options. Um, you know, whether we use it for tacos or salad, you know, like Greek salads or um, uh, even in our euros, if we're just wanting to do it uh, for a quick dinner. But if you guys have some good like Italian, Mediterranean, Greek style recipes for lamb, please spam me with them because I'm so excited to get in the kitchen and try some things like the kids are too. Like, in fact, while I am recording this, they are sitting out there flipping through a Mediterranean cookbook to see what they can find because I took them for Greek food in DC this year and they were like, this is the best food ever. So <clears throat> definitely, definitely spam me. Uh, our next one, we are drowning in milk. Um, our cow Bailey has been giving us a gallon and a half a day, which doesn't seem like a lot, especially when, um, you know, commercial cows can give, oh gosh, what is it like eight pounds a day? And I don't remember what that, I think it's like one and a half pounds to gallon. I don't know. No, they they give like eight gallons a day because it's like 45 pounds or something. I don't, I, please don't quote me at the moment because I didn't plan this and confirm. I know what my cow gives and I'm happy with it. But anyway, she gives about a gallon and a half a day. Um, and at first we were kind of like, oh, we don't know if this is going to be enough for us. Our kids drink so much milk. Oh my gosh, we're drowning in it. Like to the point that I'm having to feed a bunch back to the pigs, which is actually a really common story for a lot of homesteaders. And I've been really busy, so I haven't been able to make cheeses and things like that. I did make some yogurt, turned out delicious. My kids don't love it as much as I do, so... I made a ton of it and they like didn't need any of it. Like I must admit, but I ended up giving the rest to a pig. Um, pigs love it. Chickens love it because when I make the yogurt, I don't sweeten it until I'm ready to eat it. So it is basically just like protein pack, no sugar food for your animals. So today we're actually going to be doing some cream separating. Um, her cow, she has a beautiful cream line, but it's not turning to cheese or turning to butter for us. So the only thing we found in our research, um, we've tried, you know, pretty much everything we could. Um, all that we've can find in our research is that her cream isn't like heavy enough, like not a high enough fat content. And the way that we can adjust that is by um, using a cream separator, which we have one. Um, when we have lots of cows, we'll use the cream separator. <clears throat> right now we only have one in milk. So we are going to do that today. And some of the milk has gone bad at this point, which, you know, raw milk doesn't really go bad. There's other things you can use it for. Um, for us, once it gets past the point that we want to drink it fresh, we just give it to the pigs. But what I'm going to do is I have one sow that I guess she hasn't been fighting for her food as well, but she's ready to deliver any day now. And she's a little thinner than we'd like. So we are going to put her into a farrowing crate and I am going to take all the leftover milk and put it in a five gallon bucket with a scoop of plain yogurt and let that sit for a day or so. And that's going to turn into just like a protein smoothie for her. Basically, it'll be like a yogurt clabber type thing. And I'm just going to feed that to her with her feed to make sure that she's nice and healthy when she farrows probably in the next week or two. Um, 
So that's what we are doing here on the homestead. I don't know what your guys' homesteads look like this week, but I'm thinking that a lot of you probably have some similar stories. So, uh, you know, kind of business update, I was blessed to be part of a large collaboration with 45 other homestead educators to put together the ultimate homestead bundle. It has, it is worth $1,500 and we are selling it for only 50 bucks. Okay. So what's the catch? It is only available January 9th through 21st of this year. Um, I will have the link in the show notes. Um, use that link. You can go check it out, see who all the collaborators are. Um, there are ebooks, guides, planners, courses from 45 different homesteaders. So, you know, get, make sure you get your copy before January 21st um, of 2024. And it's about $1 a download. So even if you just glean one piece of information from each one, it is absolutely worth every cent. So just to give you like a little sneak peek of what's inside, um, I downloaded the list of everybody that's in it and what they have. Um, so there's stuff on raising goats, the ultimate guide to backyard beekeeping, the new homesteaders handbook, the gardening notebook, staples made easy, a beginner's guide to cooking everyday recipes from scratch. Ooh, I'm excited to see this one. I really like that type of, um, cooking. Um, there's a sourdough guide, a sourdough starter pack, raising pigs naturally on the homestead, a printable garden journal, a plant tracker, Ooh, mushrooms and microgreens. I am excited to read that one because I feel like I struggle with microgreens. They always mold on me and my husband wants to do some mushrooms soon. So that's really cool. Ooh, of course you get the how to start a homestead business. Um, my ebook that I added into that, um, <clears throat> the, a homestead planner, a homestead handbook, choosing improving your, uh, perfect property. Ooh, that sounds good. Um, a homestead apothecary. How to start a garden ebook and a garden planner, uh, a homestead gardening course, holistic first aid, herbal remedies, guide to mixes in a jar. So that's going to be like, you know, pre-made mixes that kind of like if, you know, you go buy your rice aroni instead, you have them all ready to go in a jar. So I think that's awesome. Um, frugal farmhouse, a guide to saving money, fresh milled flour guide, fermented foods, uh, elderberries, a DIY chicken tractor plan. Ooh, I like that. Um, I have a guy who's making me a chicken tractor, but I might check this out because yeah. Anyways, <laughs> um, how to do a cedar fence raised bed. That's what I have. How fun. Um, ooh, a complete guide to starting your temperature blanket. I have been wanting to do one of those for years, but my knitting and crocheting skills aren't that great. I'll probably have to like keep a uh, spreadsheet for the year and then like crochet the whole thing, like over the winter or something. Um, choosing simple recipes for your homestead, a chicken processing workshop. I feel like that one, it's so simple, but it feels really overwhelming. Um, especially for people who are just getting started. And, um, I think everybody should like take a workshop on that when they have a chance. So chicken keeping for beginners, uh, can do canning, um, more on sourdough. That's awesome. There's so many awesome sourdough, so much awesome sourdough information. And I feel like I have followed a few different, um, people's guides on sourdough and I get something different from each person. And then that's what's mastered how sourdough works on my, like from my house. So it's so weird. Like, I think it's like a regional thing or temperature thing. I don't know. Um, 
the basic chicken breed handbook that is so important because like we love chickens and we love how beautiful they are but what are you using your chickens for um basic off-grid living sourdough for busy families um <laughs> i need to read that one <laughs> um beginner's guides to goats backyard protein Ooh, that sounds really good and empower her a guide to herbal self-sufficiency and women's health that sounds really good so I have read through some of these already. They are amazing. So don't forget to go check this out. It is only $50, but it's only available until January 21st of this year, 2024. Now for today's topic, what better to discuss in January than what my homestead looks like for the year? Um, something that new homesteaders and even seasoned homesteaders don't grasp is that we're following an agrarian schedule. This means that our lives are based on planting season, harvest season, breeding season, and calving, farrowing, lambing, or kidding season. This was a normal schedule for most everybody less than 100 years ago. And now it's true that this can vary by like growing zones, sale prices, and more, but it's really a gold standard. So many things in our lives are sociologically set by an agrarian schedule. Um, I know that I don't have a complete list, but all the way from when you pay your taxes to the public school schedule is completely set by the agrarian schedule. Um, <clears throat> also, if you are farming with local farmers, like buying hay or grain, you need to be following their schedule to fulfill your needs and theirs. So let's just talk about what my homestead looks like for a year. We live in North Idaho. Um, we are actually in a zone 6B, maybe right on the 7 um, growing zone, which is kind of unheard of for this area. Like we're in a banana belt. So everyone else around us is kind of a zone 5. Um, when we moved here, we moved from like a zone 3 or 4 in the high desert of Oregon. So I was really happy to get to a 7, especially when I grew up in like a 9. We have chickens, quail. We do a couple different types of gardens. Um, like I do a spring garden and then a summer garden. Um, spring gardens and my spring slash fall garden, that's where I do lettuces and peas and brassicas. And in the fall, that's where I have my um, like garlics and stuff. Um, so then... My summer garden that I call it, it's just kind of how what we call it on our property. So we know where we're planting what, but that's where I put my corn, squash, tomatoes, all those types of things. And sometimes there's even some cross stuff happening, but down in the summer garden is also where my raspberries are, my grapes and my small orchard. So then we also raise, uh, we have a couple of dairy cows, we have a couple of beef cows, and then our primary thing is pigs. So I don't know how that compares to your homestead, but it's just something to kind of look at. Um, so for January, this is when I plan my year. Um, I, you know, look at how many uh, meat chickens we want for the year, um, how many laying hens I need to replace. I usually just buy those as chicks. Um, sometimes I order them. Sometimes I buy them local. I like to keep that, um, like the genetic diversity kind of mixed up. Uh, we do a lot of quail inc incubation during this time because then they are ready to go outside about when the weather gets good. Um, I plan 
you know, I really start marketing our pigs um, to know how many I need to hold back out of piglets. I sell piglets during this time. Well, I'm my wait list is going at this time. Then I need to know how many to hold back for people that are buying whole hogs from us. Um, I do my seed ordering. Um, I still need to do my uh, inventory, my seed inventory. I was bad. I wanted to do it in December and my schedule just didn't allow for it. So that's probably going to happen this week. And I'm really excited. Um, and then a uh, farrowing season for us, which is we will probably out of our nine sows, at least have half of them farrow in the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, God willing. So, um, and we, then I order my seeds. Um, I order most of my seeds from True Leaf Market. I will link them in the show notes. I really like that they have heritage seeds, that they tell stories about the heritage seeds. And what a heritage seed is, in case you don't know, is a seed that's been around for at least 50 years and that it can be open air pollinated. It's not GMO or a hybrid. Um, I love on Truly's website, a lot of times they'll give stories that went along with it. Like we love the mortgage lifters tomatoes. They taste yummy. But during the Great Depression, this guy was selling the this uh, strain of tomatoes to uh, pay his mortgage. So, I mean, it was just a really fun story. Um, I love kind of Great Depression style stories. And so um, also True Leaf, they have guides on growing herbs and vegetables. I just find it's really super helpful. Um because even though I've been doing this for years, sometimes I'm like, wait, when do I start these? You know, how do they like to be started? Do You know, there's always just a question. And I have these guides, like I keep a little binder out in my grow room where I have, you know, my seed schedule when I'm supposed to start all my seeds. Um, I should probably tell you guys about that. Um, and then I have my growing guide and uh, for uh, vegetables and for and oh I have a flower one now um I, th I think maybe anyways I'm doing a little bit more flowers so I probably downloaded it but I don't remember but like I said they have these free going growing guides you can download them I stick them just in my little half inch binder and I keep that out in my grow room so the schedule I do in my grow room I um have a spreadsheet I should probably make up one of these spreadsheets for you guys and just give it away as a freebie because it's so easy to follow um, and it makes a really nice, you know, to just hang or have, I usually have one in the binder and one hanging so that if my hands are dirty, I can just look and see what I want to start next. But what it is, is it has um, all my seeds. Um, I even like I write the variety and stuff down. I just, I don't just say tomatoes because I sell a lot of my seeds. So I want to be able to have records and let people know what they're buying. <clears throat> and also be able to have some records of like, which ones we liked and didn't like. So then I'll say whether they're organic heirloom or hybrid. Um, <clears throat> again, that's a marketing thing for my customers. But if they're heirloom and we really liked them, then I also know I can save those seeds. So then um, next I put when their start date is. And that is... Um, when I should be starting them inside. I have to start pretty much everything from inside. Oh, and then on another note, the hybrid thing, basically all brassicas and corn are hybrids. So forget the idea of heirloom ones. You might be able to find some heritage ones, but the heritage are still hybrids. It's it's just a thing. It's how they were, they came to be. So um, like I said, so my start dates. I go to garden.org 
Um, I'll link that in the show notes. And I can put in my zip code and it tells me like when I should start my seeds inside. Um, because, you know, you look at a seed packet and it'll say start, you know, a month before your final frost date. Well, your final frost date can be totally different from 10 miles down the road. So, and I know that mine is, um, it's usually about Mother's Day is my final frost date, but it just makes it so easy to go and print out this whole list. And I keep that in my binder too, but then I can just refer back and I write out on my spreadsheet um, exactly when I'm going to uh, start my seeds, whether it's inside or outdoors. And then um, a lot of times I'll have like a little note there because sometimes I'll start seeds. I'm going to sell a little earlier than I would start it for my own garden, just to make sure that I have really good sized plants to sell. Um, and then I have a, another column that says when they should be transplanted outside. Um, <clears throat> so like I said, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and make that a thing and do it as a freebie because I think it's a really simple guide to have hanging. Cause you know, you're sitting out and you're starting all your seeds, your hands are dirty and you're like, okay, I have more room on this tray. What should I start? And you can just look at your list and see what else you need to start that week. Makes it super simple. It also makes it where like my teenagers, they'll be like, Hey, what can I do to help today? And I'll be like, Oh, I need to start a bunch of um, seeds this week. And they can go out and see what varieties need to be started that week. And they can start seeds too, which is really great. And they have the names so they can write the names right on the tabs. Um, so I know what was started. Um, although I love starting my own seeds, I kind of don't want them involved. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I have to drag them in because I need help with how many seeds I'm starting, but it does make it nice that everybody kind of knows what's going on if I have something hanging like that. Um, I do buy some seeds from Baker Creek. They're great as well. Um, <clears throat> sometimes I just want something that's really unique or, um, I really like the flowers from there. Uh, True Leaf has flowers, but their focus is more on the vegetables, herbs, microgreens, those types of things. Um, I get all of my seed starting supplies from Greenhouse Megastore. Their prices are great. They show up like that. Um, I get my seed starting trays. I get my flats for um, putting all my seed starting, like all my seeds in. I get pots. like. I can get a box of pots for 50 bucks and there's like 500 in there. It's ridiculous. Um, so that is great for me when I do kind of like a mini nursery at my house. Um, now that my nursery is getting a little larger and I am going to, I'm going to have a store this year. Um, I do need to get a nursery license and it's about $75 here in Idaho. I get it through the Idaho Department of Agriculture. I'm not sure what all is involved with it. Um, I need to confirm, but I know that I keep my growing places uh, clean and that type of stuff. So I'm not worried about it. All right. So February, February is like my biggest seed starting like February and kind of March, like my tomatoes can't be started any later than about March 15th. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure a lot of you guys are in warmer climates, so you might even be starting earlier and there's not a whole lot else going on in February because like in North Idaho, like right now, this week, this week's actually my birthday. I am hitting the big four. Oh, 
kind of like a little scary, like a few more days of my 30s. But on my birthday, we're going to have a high of negative three. So I mean, it is there's not a lot you can do outside in North Idaho this time of year. Um, so I might as well be starting seeds and I love it. It's very cathartic. I listen to podcasts. I listen to uh, audiobooks. That's usually my time. Like a lot of times I'll even have my kids lock me in the mudroom so that the like toddlers can't get out there and bother me. Um, <clears throat> so uh, then we have a little bit more farrowing that happens in February. Anybody that didn't catch that first heat in September when I put the bore in, they might be um, farrowing in February. Um, we have had a lot of farrowings happen middle of the night, like Valentine's Day. I have a pair of high heels that are ruined, still sitting in my closet with pig poop on them because we were helping Pharaoh at, um, you know, three o'clock in the morning. Valentine's Day is negative nine. I've got like a sleeping bag over this poor sow. It was just, it was a disaster. And I keep those shoes specifically just to remember that night and remember why I don't wear high heels. It doesn't work as a farmer ever. So just, yeah, it's not a thing. Um, March. March is mud season in North Idaho. Um, we actually mark, we call it breakup. Um, and that's it. The When the roads um, start to thaw underneath, like the ice starts to thaw underneath the roads. If semi-trucks are going too fast on it, they can actually like break up the road. Um, that, that's not why they call it breakup. But um so like our highways around here, all the semis can only go 35 miles an hour until breakup is over. So we'll actually note that like in our planners so that we can kind of remember like what time of the year breakup happens, because it's a thing like we live 40 minutes from town. If I get stuck behind a semi and the weather's bad and I can't pass or something, it could turn my drive to town into almost a two hour one way trip. Like I have to remember what when breakup is happening. <clears throat> that's also when mud season happens and the mud is like I don't know we have glacial silt here and you just like sink into it. it is horrible um for us this year March is also going to include the soft opening of our store so I guess in February we're going to be spending a lot of time cleaning our store space out um I'm looking for a glass uh front fridge and freezer for the store. Um, sometimes we can pick them up cheap. There's a, um, we live near Spokane, Washington, kind of near like a couple hour drive. And a lot of times they have like commercial stores. There are businesses that go out of business and I can pick those up pretty cheap on Craigslist. I'm just waiting to get some pigs sold to be able to afford them. <laughs> but uh, so the, I, the reason we're doing a soft opening is because we do live so far away I am not really wanting to push a lot of people to um, be driving up to our house um, in poor weather and stuff. But what we're going to do is we're going to do a grand opening, probably like, I don't know, Mother's Day or Memorial Day weekend, probably Memorial Day. I don't know. Um, but I'll get to that one in, when I get to me. Um, <clears throat> another one is late March, early April is when the dandelions bloom. And there are so many wonderful things we can do with dandelions. There's all the dandelions abs and stuff. But around here, that's also when you should be looking at putting your potatoes in the ground. And I know that so many areas have these folklores, um, whether they're true or, you know, old farmers. It's just something to consider that um, maybe you want to 
uh, check with your local ag department, talk to some old timers, because they're going to be the ones that are going to give you the best advice for um, growing on your homestead. Uh, I've said it before, there's so many wonderful influencers out there. I, you know, I'm an influencer, educator, content creator myself. But like even right now, I'm giving you my homestead schedule for a zone seven growing, which is not going to be hugely helpful for somebody who's in a zone 10. I mean, it might give you an idea that you need to have that agrarian schedule, but don't follow my schedule. Your plants will be all messed up. <laughs> Your cows might be fine though. You know, it's just one of those things. And everybody has different reasons for not wanting to calve at different times. Um, you know, kind of on that note, I'm bouncing a little bit forward. This year we calved in December. It actually works for us because then I have all my milk in the winter time and I have time to work with it and I'm not having to do it when I'm trying to plant um, or I'm in more of a routine by the time I'm ready to plant. Whereas, you know, some people don't want to calve in the summer because, you know, in the South, like the mosquitoes and the heat, I mean, it could be an issue as well. Um, a lot of people do spring calving. That's probably the most common. And then you sell in the fall or sell, sell weaned calves in the fall. Um, that's kind of the more commercial routine. Um, so April, that's when we're like prepping our yard and garden. Um, <clears throat> we're pulling out anything that didn't like kind of decay into our garden. Sometimes we mulch it back in. Um, pulling weeds around the garden, fixing any fences, doing all the things that we needed to do so that when we put our garden in, it's just ready to go. We're not trying to clean up that space. Um, because it's kind of one of those things, once you're done gardening in the fall, you're like, I'm done, like walk away. And then everything's all dead and icky in there. <clears throat> um, another thing I spend a lot of time doing in April is transplanting plants into larger pots or, um, transplanting my cold weather plants right into the garden. So that's what I was talking about earlier with the peas. And you, I think you can do some carrots this time of year. Um, the brassicas, the broccoli, cauliflower, um, broccoli, uh, broccoli, Brussels sprouts. Wow. Anyways. <laughs> um, so that's kind of fun to get those going and out there. Some people do plant garlic this time of year. Um, the weather's starting to get nice. So a lot of times while the kids are wanting to play outside, I'll drag a table outside and sit out there and transplant all my plants. I really wish I had a, um, they call them like a transplanting table or a seed starting table or something, but it's a little higher where you can stand and work at waist level and you're not having to bend over. Um, maybe I should look into doing one of those because I spend so much time outside, but that would be really helpful not having to um, just be getting up and down out of my chair and then, you know, I'm getting more standing time, which is healthier and that type of thing. Uh, let's see here. May is when I am putting the garden in. So that is a lot of work. That's, I mean, sometimes it is the whole family out there working for days straight, getting the garden in, getting everything prepped, um, setting it all up just right, making sure our irrigation is working. Um, I do suggest irrigation, whether it's overhead, soaker hose, even just a sprinkler that you have, but do it on a timer because, oh my gosh, life gets so busy. And the biggest thing I hear people say is that they forget to water their gardens. And I'm one of those people. Or I turn it on and forget to turn it off. And I wake up in the morning and my garden's flooded. 
they always like it, but I mean, I don't really want to drain my well every night either. So definitely put it on a timer. It is so helpful. Um, if you aren't sure how long you need to do, I usually start between a half hour and an hour once or twice a day. If the plants aren't looking great up it, you know, or if your uh, soil is feeling really soggy, um, turn it down a little. Um, you can always go out there. Like I like to go out in the evenings and just water. So sometimes I will do it waters every morning. And then in the evenings, I'll go out and hand water as needed. And that just gives me a little bit more time with my garden and I enjoy it. So, um, then we're going to do our grand opening of our store. We're really excited about that one. I'm going to have my plant sale. Um, we'll have, uh, pork and lamb for sure. I'll have, milk. Um, I should have our small herd exemption locked in by then. I had a small herd exemption previously. We did a couple of dry years um, just to handle some life stuff. And now we're getting back into it. So I should be able to just resubmit my paperwork and be good to go. My animals have already had all their shots and stuff. Um, they do have some required shots for the small herd exemption. I think it's just the brucellosis. And then we had to do a TB test. Um, that all gets registered with the state. So I pretty much just have to call and be like, this is our cow number. Um, they restart, I turn in a label, um, for what it's going to say, because if I do any off farm sales, I have to have a label that says, um, what we are. Um, if I do any products, like if I have cream, I have to say, you know, like, this is our, this is cream, not milk, uh, butter, anything like that. And, um, <clears throat> so I turn my label in once they get everything approved, I get my certificate and then they'll do like once a month checks where they come out and they'll just pull some milk out of the fridge. They'll test it right there for temperature. Then they send it off to a lab to see if my coliform or any pathogen numbers are too high. Um, if they are, they work with me to get them down. It's not like a, you're shut down, you know, type thing, which I mean, the um, coliform numbers, that's just the number of bacteria in there. Bacteria a lot of times is a good thing. It's just depends um, on the levels. So, um, then I'm hoping to have some other products in my store at that point. That's why I'm doing the soft opening beforehand. So I have all my tax certificates and that type of stuff in line. And then I'm going to have like where some other people in like locally can sell their products there. I'm going to have some other products myself. Um, we are kind of looking at it to be like the general store, um, in our area. So I'm, the neighbors are going to put a ton of hay over here. Um, just to kind of help us get started. And then, you know, the funds from that will go back to the neighbor, but it's getting people here. Um, we are getting a tractor supply in town, but that's still 45 minutes away from us. And even currently on a Sunday, the closest place we could get grain or hay is an hour and a half away. Um, so just being able to like supply that to our neighbors um, is just really handy. Like, you know, somebody has you know, a pig that's going to farrow on a Sunday and they don't have a bale of straw, they can just pop over to our place and get one. And if they know us, they could always call and be like, hey, I know it's 10 o'clock at night, but can we come get a bale of straw? You know, so I really like that we're going to be able to have that availability for our friends and neighbors and for people passing through as well. Um, We hope that for our plant sale and grand opening, we're going to do like barbecued hot dogs for everybody. Um, that'll probably just be free just to get people to come up and say hi and see what we have going on. Uh, let's see. June. June is all about weeding the garden. That's all I do. I weed the garden. I don't weed it once I get a little, the plants get taller than the weeds because actually those weeds hold some of the water in 
and just kind of keeps, if there's anything that's going to like, gets really big and is going to go to seed and be um, like thorns and stuff, I pull those. But just those like little grass type things that grow, we have a lot of uh, purslane that grows. I a lot of times leave that just to keep our soil moist. But while my seedlings or, you know, seeds are just growing to begin with and they're only like an inch tall and the weeds around it are you know three or four inches tall they're not getting any water they're not getting any sunshine and honestly sometimes I get out there and I can't tell the difference between like some of these weeds and my lettuces so I need to like weed those like daily but it's nice I pick a planter box I go out there I pop in my headphones sometimes my daughter will do the same thing she's learned she really likes listening to audiobooks and she needs like a little break from the toddlers as well. And it's actually even our quote break from the toddlers, the swing set and the sandbox are right outside the small garden. And so we can sit out there and weed and listen to whatever we want to listen to with one headphone in and the little boys can play. And we don't have to worry about them for the most part. They're well branched. My little terrorist, he likes to come in and he thinks he's helping and he's like pulling up everything. But, you know. For the most part, having the swing set there really helps. Uh, July. July is actually our second farrowing. So all those pigs that are going to be farrowing in January, what we do with them, they have their piglets on them for about a month to six weeks. We wean and a month later, they go back out with the boar. That gets us a second set of piglets in late spring or early summer, which is when everybody is wanting, like we have people that buy pigs to feed out and then they butcher right before winter to fill their own freezers. So we actually have a huge market for pigs that time of year. Um, it's pretty warm at that point, but we also don't have to worry about freezing. So that's really nice. Um, the garden is usually good at that point. I don't have to do a lot with it because like I said, the plants have outgrown the weeds at this point. And so I'm just going out and watering, maybe pulling any of those big weeds, uh, you know, training vines that are going up a trellis or something. Um, mainly just get to spend time in the garden because I want to. But July is when my raspberries are ripe and I love my raspberries. Um, we have a pretty long row of them. I go out there and I just pick for hours. The kids kind of hate it, but I love it. I could eat raspberries all day long. Um, and so it's all pick, pick, pick. So then in August is our county fair, which, you know, we're really involved with 4-H. I've mentioned that before. So the first couple of weeks of August is pretty much completely committed to 4-H and the fair. Uh, I mean, we pretty much have to live down there the entire time. And the kids show their animals. They have a really great time. Um, and then after fair, um, we like to take like a week or so off. Like, I mean, we're just really exhausted. So we'll take some time off, but that's when all the huckleberries are ripe. So that's kind of our really fun. Like we get up in the morning, we do our chores, we pack a lunch and we head into the woods and we go hiking. We swim in creeks. We pick huckleberries. Um, we come home, we're making huckleberry ice cream. It is, it's good times. I mean, that's what we live for. We invite friends to go with us. It's, it's fun. It's a blast. Um, <clears throat> the kids love it. And at this point of the year is when I actually just set up all of my canning stuff right on our island and it doesn't leave until probably November. <clears throat> so that when I come home, we have like a steam juicer and stuff. 
I can come home and any berries that I'm not going to freeze or have another plan for, I dump them right in the steam juicer. They start steaming. They can go right into jars and I can hot water bath can them right then and there. And, you know, by morning they're on the shelf. And it is so handy that way. It, it makes it where we don't end up with just tons that we don't do anything with. We usually don't have room in our freezers for a bunch of berries. So be able to do it that way. Some people are like, oh my gosh, you waste the huckleberries and just take the juice. I don't waste. All the pumice that's left, I mix in cornstarch and sugar, and that goes on top of ice cream and yogurt. It does not um, just go to waste. So uh, um, in August, our garden's starting to produce. So I'm starting to pull things from there. A lot of times we're just eating the fresh at that point. There's not a lot of preserving happening. September, that is when our preserving happens. Oh, also during this time, my husband all summer long haze with our neighbors. He is their mechanic. He does all of their, keeps all their equipment running so that they can hay and they can harvest their barley and wheat and whatever else is that they're growing that year. And then in trade, we get all the hay that we need for the year for our animals. So <clears throat> that's really awesome. He doesn't get paid to do it. He just goes... Um, and does it in trade. And that saves us a ton of money every year. But September is when we do most of our preserving. Because then we're kind of getting to the point where we have more tomatoes than we can eat for lunch. Um, we don't have a whole lot other stuff going on in September. Um, we might do a little bit of starting to get out in the woods. And um, deciding like where we want to hunt for the year. But for the most part, we're just home doing stuff around um, the farm. This is when our boar goes in because if we want to have January piglets, what the boar needs to go in in September. It's another thing you need to be thinking about. It's not, we want to have spring calves and we start talking about getting, you know, the cows bred in January. You have to talk about getting the cows bred like the June before, if you want spring calves. Um, you know, so anything that you're wanting to do with animals, like you need to plan like backwards. Like, so I do have a um, free download. Um, I will link that in the show notes on when you, uh, when you should like breed to have what you need. It's a, wow, just a guide. It's a, and it's like a barn guide. It's like real big and you can like just hang it like it's a whole sheet for each animal. So you can like hang it in the barn or your office or wherever you need to. And it makes it really easy um, to see when you need to be breeding your animals. Um, now the next one is I'm making notes of everything I said that I'm going to link because I didn't do that. <laughs> um, anyways, so then October for us is like hunting season. That hunting season starts in uh, like for our rifle deer season. It starts, I think, October 10th. And at that time, we can also be hunting some elk. Like there's different regulations on whether or not it's a uh, cow or a bull. Um, we can hunt bear at that time, wolves, mountain lions. I mean, we just get our tags for everything and we go enjoy ourselves in the woods. 
Um, we do a little bit of preserving during that time, especially if we get something, then, you know, that we need to be processing all of that meat. Um, because at this point, I'm kind of putting away our canning stuff and bringing out our meat processing stuff. If we have any animals on the homestead that we're going to cull, and, you know, another one, I have a culling guide um, that's also a freebie. Maybe I'll just link you to my freebie page. Um, <clears throat> that culling guide um, talks about, like, it's not just you're taking an animal out to the back 40 and shooting it. Sometimes culling is just giving it a new job. Um, sometimes that new job is they're going to go to another farm because, you know, they're still producing, but they're not producing the way you want them to produce. Um, they might be, you know, a dairy cow that gives great calves every year, but not a lot of milk. So you decide to keep her to, um, to breed for, so that you have a beef calf every year. I mean, that's, you're culling her from one herd and adding her to another. Um, when we do is we have any sows that didn't produce well for us that year, we go ahead and butcher them for our freezer. Um, if we have more than one, a lot of times we'll sell the other one just cause you know, we don't have that much room in our freezers. Um, so I'll have all of my meat processing stuff out. So I might as well, if I'm going to get a deer, I might as well be butchering like, you know, a cow or a pig at the same time. So that's a really great option for us. Um, November is when we start winterizing everything. Um, winterizing is, you know, getting all of our equipment ready, getting our buildings ready, making sure our animals are healthy for the winter. Um, I have an animal health guide for winter as well. Um, that one's not free. That one's, I think, $7. I don't know. Again, I'll link it. But um, I feel like I'm just like, I have all these things I'm going to link for you. But I do feel like that planning for the year requires a lot of this type of stuff. Um, now, <clears throat> another one, I have a book that I've mentioned before on here. I think it's handy. So hold on. I have used the Backyard Homestead Seasonal Planner. Um, I've mentioned it a few different times. Um, it's a great place for keeping notes. Um, it's not a, it doesn't explain everything. And there's just some things that, that was my frustration when I really switched from like agriculture to homesteading is what are kind of the exacts of what I need to do, not just the general. And so that's a big one that like I handle is, you know, it'll say like, you need to get your animals ready for winter. Well, what do you need to do? So that's why I put together like my animal health, my winter animal health guide. So, you know, it's one of those ones where it, I'll link this book, but once you get to that point where it says, this is what you need to do. If you don't understand that, that's when you go find like a good influencer or, you know, a content creator, an educator, um, or a government site or something like that. That's going to tell you exactly what you need to do. Um, also having a close relationship with your vet is really important. So December for us is all about the foods. That's when we are baking our breads, when we're trying recipes that we want to see if we want to like have into our regular repertoire. We're doing our sourdough. We're reading a lot. Um, and like I said, for us, this is when we're having our calves because that's, I like having my milk in the wintertime because again, I have time to experiment with my milk products and my dairying. Like I said, everyone is different. Every homestead is different, but plan ahead a year at a time, you know, get yourself a little notebook or journal, um, plan your year. I mean, like I said, the seasonal planner, the 
from the story guides I've really enjoyed. It's been very helpful to me, even from somebody who grew up on a ranch homesteading style my whole life. Um, you know, my dad, he was an old school rancher. I mean, he grew up dirt floor poor in Tennessee. He started his own homestead. That's who I learned or his own ranch. That's where I learned a lot of it from. And he didn't explain to me why we did things. We just did them. And so then I went into major in commercial agriculture and work in that for several years before I took on this more homestead and um, holistic mindset. And with that, I kind of had to relearn a lot of things. And so having guides like this has been really helpful to me. Um, the ultimate homesteader bundle that I talked about, that's going to be really helpful to a lot of people. There's a lot of planners in there. Um, look for those options for yourself, um, but plan your year in advance. And then turn around and take notes of everything that you planned in advance. So like if you get a notepad, don't do like January, February, March, like all in a row. Do January on one like page and then skip like the next page and do February. And on the front, put like Homestead Journal for the year. And then throughout the year, like note stuff, note when there's issues, write down when the dandelions um, bloom or when um, breakup is because you're going to want to remember that next year, or at least have a good idea of when you're expecting it. So that's all I have for you today. I hope that you learned something. If you have any questions, you're always welcome to reach out to me. Keep growing. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, please head over to your favorite podcast player and leave a comment and review. This helps me to know what you're enjoying and helps others find an episode that can help them. Thank you for joining me today at the Homestead Education, and I hope that I have given you something to think about this week. To help others find me, please comment and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also follow me on Facebook at the Homestead Education and Instagram at Homestead underscore education. Do you have questions that you would like answered or just want to say hi? Please email me at hello at the homesteadeducation.com. Until next time, keep growing!